Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. Ahmed Al-Rafai, Dean of the College of Business and Management at Fahad bin Sultan University, joins me for a pre-recorded webinar to discuss women in Saudi Arabia, what changes. Dr. Al-Rafai will speak for 15 minutes, then address some questions. As this is a pre-recorded webinar, we unfortunately will not be taking any questions from the audience today. And with that, I'll play a discussion by Dr. Ahmed Al-Rafai. Thank you very much, Stacey. And I'd like to thank uh, Daniel Pipes and uh, Matthew Menon. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing their names right. Okay. Uh, for giving me the chance to present my paper, which was published in Middle East uh, Quarterly Journal, uh, entitled, Is the Saudi General Gap Narrowing? And this is a paper that I conducted uh, due, using a survey of about 1,000 participants, male and female Saudis. Uh, because what, what is happening is that I see more participation in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for women in the labor market. So let's start by, sorry for narrowing this one, some facts and figures in, the, in Saudi Arabia. In the World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Report 2020, Saudi Arabia was ranked 146 country out of 153 in overall gender equality. Also, Saudi was ranked 148th in gender economic participation. They have very low participation rate for, for women and less opportunities for female. Further, Saudi was ranked 136th in political empowerment of women. So let's look at some of the facts here and the changes that happened uh, in the last, let's say, uh, 10 years. In 2011, during uh, King Abdullah, the former uh, uh, king of Saudi Arabia, Saudi women were given the right, and this is the first thing that happened to women here, the right to cast their votes in the forthcoming local elections. And that was a great accomplishment at that time. And they were allowed to be elected to the national parliaments, which is here, they call it Shura Council. This right was further institutional, institutionalized by a royal, a royal decree, reserving 20%. So there was a quota in the Shura Council of 20% to be female. Another move was in 2016, where uh, King Salman, and the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, they launched uh, the Kingdom Vision 2030. And that, that's the plan or the vision, the pledge to raise Saudi women's economic participation from 17% to 25% within the framework of re revolutionizing the kingdom's socioeconomic life. In 2017, women can receive an education and healthcare without the need for female guardian consent. Because in the past, they wouldn't be allowed unless they get the consent of a guardian, which is a, female, a, man, a male. In 2018, they tried to stimulate the Saudiization of the private sector with special quotas and several sectors reserved for women. 2018, 
King Salman's 2018 decree allowing women to drive. I mean, driving was was the most thing that happens in Saudi Arabia for female and to travel domestically and internationally without the guardian supervision, which removed a major barrier to women's employability by slashing transportation costs. Many female would not go to work because they cannot get into public transportation. They cannot go to, the, to, the, to work and they cannot drive, of course. But till 2018, they were allowed to drive. In 2018 also, this one, shortening the working hours in the public sector for women to suit working mothers and increasing paid maternity leave. Establishing also in 2018, 233 childcare centers while providing a monthly childcare subsidy for working mothers. Some facts and figures of impact. Let's look at the ratio. You will be surprised to know that Saudi female are highly educated, okay? The ratio of female enrollment in Saudi institutions, and I've been here for four years teaching, and I'm the Dean of the College of Business. The majority of my students are female, okay, more than male. Uh, it's like 69.9% women vis-a-vis 6634 male. There are now 600,000 Saudi women working for the private sector, 30,000 of whom joined the market last September and October. They just started working. During 2017, about 127,000 new commercial licenses were issued for women with over 450,000 new jobs to be created. Last year, which is a bad year for everybody with the COVID-19, 10 women were appointed to senior leadership position in the presidency of the two holy mosques in Mecca and Medina. Also, there is an extensive participation in the private sector with women accounting now for about, uh, not now actually, probably this year it's about 21, 22. 20% of the investment in 2017. Expansion of the female participation in the labor market, it increased from 12% in 2009 to 18% in 2007. With a view to raising this to 25, the vision 2030, the vision of the kingdom, they targeted this ratio to go to up to 25% in 2020 and further in 2030. The growing female participation in all walks of political life, from parliament, representation, to other fields, to other jobs that they were forbidden in the past. Female here, they used to work just in two sectors, healthcare, and education only. Now you can see female participating in almost everything. All government institutions, they have female now. All kinds of jobs, they have female. Actually, they are stimulating and encouraging employers to employ female. There is a setup of the family council that was established where women occupied half of its 16 government appointed senior posts. Lingering problems. Despite all of these 
flourishing and these good news for women. Still, female labor participation in Saudi Arabia, which is expected to be like 25%, still this is below or less than its counterpart in other Gulf countries. For example, in Oman, which is in the Gulf country, it's a Gulf country, uh, the, the participation in the labor market is about 32.4%. UAE, United Arab Emirates, 52. In Kuwait, it's 58.8, and in Qatar, 59%. Why? Why is that? Even though Saudi Arabia is the largest Gulf country, the population is about 35 million. Saudi women still find themselves trapped by ultra-traditional religious and sociocultural values. So this is the key for the whole study, actually. There is a taboo, okay, of the society. It's a cultural thing. I mean, I don't want to call it religious because religion, Islam, does not prevent you from participating in the labor market or working as a mother or helping family in raising their incomes. It is purely sociocultural. These are values that were inherited. These norms and values have had major self inhibitory psychological effects on Saudi society, which go beyond the objective, the problems and obstacles that impede women's participation. We have here a very conservative nature of the Saudi society with its ultra-traditional religious and socio-cultural values and beliefs that lead sometimes to some, you might feel that there is like a discriminating norm or discriminatory norms. Therefore, we find men dominating the labor market, men constraining female workplace integration. So there was two studies. One is a national, which I did not do, and the other, the one that I implemented, okay? The yearning for belongings and, and conformity and the fear of overstepping society's norm, normative boundaries and risking retri uh, retribution act as a, is a powerful impediment to showing one's true color in public. They don't like to show that in front of other people, other Saudi, a Saudi man to a Saudi man or to his family, but probably in front of others, they wouldn't mind. So there was a study that at a national level where 1,500 men Saudi men were interviewed, aging from 18 to 35. You will be surprised to know that 82% of the participants agreed that women should be allowed to work outside the home. On the other hand, contrary to that, they underestimated, oh, we got underestimation okay, of supporting this idea among their peers. When we ask the same question in front of other uh, Saudis, 92% of participants in the national survey underestimated the support. In my study, I had an, an, uh, a survey of 1,000 people, 690 men and 310 working women. That was conducted in November 2018. I selected my sample from two areas, from Tabuk, where I live now, and from Riyadh. Riyadh is a more of a metropolitan city, 
okay? Whereas Tabuk is more a cultural conservative uh, place. Okay, and I asked many questions, okay, relating to the working environment for female. And my, my questions were, Saudi women, I asked the participants to respond positively or negatively to the following six assertions. Saudi women bring significant added value to the workforce. Another question. Saudi women have the willingness to work hard. As a man, this was this question was pointed to, to male. Will you accept a female relative joining the workforce? Having a career will not adversely affect women's role as a, as a mother. Another question. Saudi women adapt quickly to work environment. And the last one, Saudi women have the same skills as foreign women. As they don't allow, they wouldn't mind a Filipino working here, a Jordanian, a Moroccan, an Egyptian female. What about, can the Saudi woman do the same job? Does she have the same skills? So that was a question, the last question that was asked. The responses were as follows. 86% of men or men, they have no objection to female family members joining the workforce. 69% they believe that working mothers could accommodate both roles. 84% of the respondents think that women are eager to work hard, while 79% believe that women could easily adapt to the work environment. Another finding was 74% maintained that Saudi women do not have lesser skills than foreign women and could easily replace them. However, only 43% of the respondents thought that women bring a significant added value to the workforce, whereas 57% thought they do not. I mean, I see this one as a contradiction to, to some of their answers. Okay. Uh, at the end, we had an open question. The response to that, okay, were favorable and forthcoming with many respondents thinking that there was no uh, fundamental, let me just see this one, difference between men and women at the workforce and that women could readily adjust and successfully fulfill any job. And frankly, from my experience here, I see women are more dedicated to accomplishing whatever tasks they were given relative to male. I mean, they, they work hard. They, they, uh, they enjoy spending effort and time educating themselves and uh, improving them, their skills. So this is the final findings of my study. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Uh, so the first question we have is, has the government eliminated the maram, uh, which rules, which male relatives make the most important decisions in women's lives? Yes, yes, they did. Yes, they did. I mean, you can feel that, uh, it's funny that uh, two days ago, uh, a father came to my office and he wants to register his son and daughter and he wants to pay for his, his daughter. 
So I said, what about your son? He's more important for you. I mean, he said, no, 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 no. She will go to the court and then please, I need to pay for my daughter. This thing did not happen like a couple of years ago. Fantastic. And what is the legal status now of Ms. Yar, temporary marriage in Saudi Arabia? And how prevalent is it? Uh, to tell you the truth, I can't answer it because I'm not aware. I mean, that was not part even of my mandate in this paper. My main concern, I'm, a, I'm an economist, and my main concern was the labor market and women's participation in the labor market. So I, I don't want to go, and I did not uh, go beyond uh, my my paper. All right. Thank you so much. Um, so how do you see Saudi Arabia catching up in gender equality to its Gulf counterparts? Is it feasible given the traditional religious and socio-cultural values? Mm, it, it might take time. Okay. I mean, it's, it is improving, as you see from even figures when I started from 2011 till uh, 2020. Uh, and I can see that and feel it. I mean, I'm not an outsider here and I can see that there are tremendous changes that are happening for uh, women and for female participation, uh, whether in education, whether in the marketplace. Uh, but it's still, if you look at my sample here, I targeted, and even the national one, which we referred to in my study, we targeted people from the age 18 to 35. If you go to the older people, probably they still have this cultural uh, values and beliefs and socio-cultural value, they dominate the belief that no woman probably this is, she cannot go out, she cannot study, she cannot work. That's why I avoided them, those old fashioned, let's say, generation. So the, the cultural problem, but it's changing gradually though. Understood. So with that being said, with your, your survey, how can it be transmitted to the general population the, of the studies on individuals being overall open to female labor force participation, yet thinking their peers are not uh, as open to it? I, I think I can fairly say that this sample is a good representative of the society. Especially, I targeted two different places. One is very conservative, which is where I live here, which is Tabuk in the north. And the other is the capital, which is Riyadh, and it's a very metropolitan place. And I targeted different sectors. So I believe uh, the results of my sample, sample can be easily okay, reflected in the whole population of the study. But do you think that that can be transmitted and so that way other people will also agree or believe that their neighbors also see women's value in the workforce as well like what kind of uh government interventions would need to happen in order to have that acceptance they need somebody to ring the bell okay like inside i have that feeling that i wouldn't mind my wife or my daughter to go to work or to school okay or to work uh, next to male, let's say, counterpart or peer. But I need somebody from the, the top to say, oh, that's okay. I mean, there is no problem with male working with female. There is no problem of women driving. I mean, when King Salman allowed female to drive, at the beginning, I mean, just if you were driving, very, you know, you barely see a female driving a car. Whereas now you see, and they were harassed at the beginning, by the way. 
2018, some women driving, and probably that was read in the news, were harassed by male, okay, when they drive. Now, I mean, all my students, uh, my colleagues, they drive, they come, they drive their, their own vehicles, okay? So uh, that's why when somebody from the higher authority, like the king or the crown prince, uh, encourage, stimulate people, this is the taboo they have. It's like, okay, if the king says that, then that's fine, then it's okay. There is no problem of women driving or working next to a male. But if no higher authority saying that, then the socio-cultural thing will dominate. And then the same old belief will stick. It's not like because they believe in it. It's like they are afraid of revealing it. Understood. So as far as the survey questions go, all of them seem fairly positive except the added value. Can you explain this that was... a little further? Yeah, I mean, this was awkward, actually. I mean, probably you find this in surveys all the time. That's why you ask like two, three questions, similar questions in different languages to see the correspondence and the consistency of the audience or respondents. Um, I mean, if you believe that she can do the same thing as the, uh, the foreign woman, she has the same skills as etc. then why doesn't she have the same added value? I mean, I find that just a contradiction, but for honesty, I have just to put it as is. But there is no answer or justification for this. I mean, I see that, I can tell you that there is a contradiction in the answer. If you believe she's hardworking, she's educated, she's capable of doing all jobs and tasks that foreign women can do, then why does she, doesn't she have an added value? On the flip side of that, could that question have been taken as um, compared to a man? Uh, would that actually be almost a feminist idea? Probably, if, probably, if probably. I would completely agree with you. Yes, yes, yes. Like, okay, relative to me, I know she cannot do what I do. Okay, she's not capable of doing my job. Probably, yes. Well, in that case, that's good news. Oh, um, you helped me in that, so actually, yeah. <laughs> because I, I couldn't find an answer, except except if man, the dominancy of male, okay? The supremacy of man, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Um, so how do the, the quotas, like of the quota of the 20% of council seats, how is that helping? Is that adding more women to the political arena? Of course, of course. I mean, 20%, it's not, it's, it's a lot, actually. One-fifth, that's a lot. Okay, and especially you go from zero to 20%. It's not like it's a gradual increase five and then another five years you have it 10%, etc. No, it's a, it's a one shot 20%. That is a good representation, I believe. And that should empower and stimulate other female to try to mimic, okay, okay, uh, what these leader women are doing. I mean, uh, I had this, uh, uh, there was a seminar uh, two weeks ago and you will be surprised that it was in a big auditorium here at the university. And uh, they invited, uh, this is a, the, the new project, mega project of uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. And they invited some key speakers. All of them were female. Okay, they are business leaders. They are outgoing. Uh, they speak fluent English, uh, courage, uh, 
strength, whatever you can think. I mean, if you don't see the gap, you wouldn't believe that this is happening in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, has there been any pushback, though? In what sense? I mean, uh, I like, like saying, uh, like that the seats are taken are reserved for women versus a equal opportunity push for or opportunity for the positions. Is there any pushback to that? Uh, I doubt. I doubt. I mean, look at the United States itself. I mean, would you accept a woman being the president of United and when Hillary Clinton ran for office? I mean, I mean, so if Saudi Arabia, they have 20%, there is no pushback. I mean, this is a good step, though. Uh, usually, which I'm not. Men are reluctant to have a woman being, let's say, a president or a leader. This is in general, generally speaking, it's not for the Saudis or uh, Americans or Europeans. Okay, even though historically speaking, we were we, we witnessed very strong women as a leaders all over the world, Merkel in Germany or in UK, or even Hillary when she was uh, okay. So, we are looking, we need to have some figures like these women to be leaders. And they have the courage, okay, to do so. I'm pro, I'm pro woman, you see, because <laughs> yeah. I'm the father of three female, you know, three daughters. Yeah, very strong women, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's how do you see the 2020 vision, 2030, sorry, 2030 vision happening? Uh, are there any more steps that need to be taken? Any more initiatives you think would be uh, leading to that? Vision? They have a full plan, actually. It's unfortunate that pe people, even the Saudis, are not well aware, okay, to the details of the agenda. But it is a very rigorous uh, agenda. And uh, if they continue doing so, I mean, th things that you will find a different Saudi Arabia in 2030. Yeah. It's a very ambitious plan. That's good. Is there an economic benefit to increasing the workforce to include 25% women? Of course. Of course. I mean, this mega project, which is one of the leading projects in the kingdom now, the Red Sea and the Neon mega project, uh, they already have, they launched, let's say, a very ambitious project of empowering women. Uh, they are sending 200 students getting the education for one year for a preparatory year, and then 50 are male and 50% are female. I mean, I was teaching them soft skills last semester, okay? And once they pass, they will send 50 of those 200, 25 male, 25 female to the United States to further, to continue their education. And this is the first step. We have another 100 coming next year. And every year the number increases. And the condition is half of it female, another half is male. So it's not like 10% to 20% or equal opportunity, because if we want to open it to equal, probably male will dominate. All right. Uh, and can you tell us a little more about where we can find some more of your work? Yes, I mean, uh, 
I just uh, my one of my papers just accepted for publication. It's called "Is Refugee Influx a Cause of Economic Vulnerability?" It's about refugees in Jordan, and that was uh, a statistics there. You know, uh, a time series from 1990 to 2018. Uh, this is coming probably this month or next month. I hope this month. Okay, because it was already edited uh, refer, refer with referees, etc. That will be published as an international journal of economic and business research. Uh, another one was about the stock. Is the stock is a man stock market is a reflection of economic uh, activity in Jordan. Also, that was a time series analysis that was published in International Journal of Business and Financial Studies. Uh, I wrote about COVID-19, okay, and United States, okay, the economic, the coronavirus economic crisis, lessons from the Great Depression, that was published uh, two months ago. So this year, hopefully, I'm very active. I was very active during the quarantine, okay. I used that time to, to do some research, and that was about COVID-19. It was published in the International Journal of Current Research. So along that line, uh, COVID-19, um, we've been getting a lot of research studies on how it's been impacting women uh, unfairly, you know, with yes. the increased work as well as the childcare and, and housework and all that. Are you seeing the same thing happening in Saudi Arabia? Mm, no, no. Not on uh, women. On the contrary, here the government they had a mandate that no employer is allowed to fire any Saudi, regardless male, female, okay, unless and the government is ready to pay sixty percent of their salaries, as long as they are Saudis, huh? It's not me, okay. Sorry, one last quick question: um, Is there a difference between how much women get paid versus men? Mm, same in Saudi Arabia, you mean? Mm -hmm. like no, there is no discrimination in in wages. No, 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 no. There is no discrimination in, in the wages here. If you give, for example, a minimum wage is four thousand real per month. That's for male and female. I mean, I can see that. I'm not aware of other areas, but I see them in, in our university. For example, you cannot discriminate, not because we don't want or something like that. It's because the government. The Ministry of Labor mandated that you pay this much. This is a very interesting uh, thing that he probably uh, somebody needs to know. In the first, uh, I think, two to three years, the government subsidized the employers for employing uh, male and female in their first jobs. So that's why we are encouraged to hire more females. Sometimes I say, I ask, I tell the presidents, like, why are you hiring? It's like oh, most of their job payment is done by the government for the first, I think, two, two years, something like that. I'm not well aware, but for quite some time, they are like being subsidized or subsidizing the employer. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry I had so many sure. questions on that. All right, we've come to the close of our webinar. For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.